Hello, I'm Greg Howard Jr. and this is Don't Make This Weird, the podcast. Each week I invite a special guest to talk about their life, news, politics, and anything else that may come up. Head over to the Patreon where you'll get the random questions game, a secret from my guest. You get some merch for being a loyal patron and you get this whole episode uncut and without this bit about joining the Patreon. So head over to patreon.com forward slash springbreak83 productions to join now. All right, so I am joined today um, by one of my favorite people on the entire internet. He is an actor. He's a comedian. Um, just all around hilarious gentleman. Uh, please welcome to the show, my friend Ivan. How are you, sir? Thank you so much. I'm I'm doing great, and I love that you didn't mention. Not a problem. Um, you know, I try not to uh, speculate on the criminal history of my guests. <laughs> One day I'm going to actually be wanted by the FBI and I'm going to regret saying this, like if that's like an admission of guilt on here. But um, we'll circle back to that if I ever need to. I mean, I will, should the FBI approach me, I will, I will plead the fifth. Okay, great. I mean, we, we might want to take this down first, but I'm, I'm glad to know that I have resources for alibis. That's right. Um, so you, you're an actor. Um, did you always want to be an actor or how, how did you, how did you get here? Really? Um, it was actually, it was pretty interesting. When I was younger, well, thinking back on it, I'm not sure. When I was younger, I want to say I was pretty introverted and shy, but I think that was bullied into me at a certain point, um, that I was kind of like pretty outgoing and then kind of contracted within myself, you know? And then um, I want to say it was like sixth grade, um, or I was like I was like nine or 10, whatever grade I did. Um, I had a teacher like have me perform, like kind of force me to get up there and, and do something. And it was like improv and completely off the top of your head and it was one of those moments it's kind of cliche it's one of those moments that really kind of clicked to me that it was like oh i'm like i'm making this up and people are engaging with it people are laughing at it and then from that point it became like a total outlet of um not only like creative expression but like storytelling and and um just connecting with people too and connecting through laughter and it was it was kind of a pivotal moment for me to go from that you know being completely withdrawn and only laughing with friends to being able to laugh, you know, in front of an audience. And from there, I went, you know, into theater and more heavily into improv training. And then um, I kind of took a, a, a pause and um, got my degree and then circled back and got back into acting and, you know, more aggressively pursuing, you know, actual work in the industry. Okay. Um, are you are you originally from California, or did you do the whole trek to California to make it big? Um, I'm from California, it's, but I did move, so I'm from San Bernardino, so I'm from the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, usually when I'm telling anyone who's out of California, um, I'm just like, oh, I'm from 80 miles east of LA. Um, 
there was a brief moment where it was like, oh, you know, the terrorist shooting happened in, in San Bernardino. And for like six months, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm from there. And everyone knew what I was talking about, but people have been forgotten. Um, so I'm from there originally. Um, I lived in a few different cities there. I was born there, moved to like, you know, the high desert area, then moved back down um, to more of the southern area. And then um, I moved out to L.A., South Bay area, and I've been out here for a long time now. Um, as as an actor, uh, do you do you have a dream role? Like, what is when will you feel like you've made it? That is such an interesting question because uh, I got advice a long time ago from, and I don't even know if it was related to acting. I think it was just random advice. Um, but but uh, he basically said that when you're starting to do anything and you're going on any journey, to make sure you have marked like definable metric of success of like whether you're you know like writing a book and it's like i will feel like this is a you know i will give myself credit for getting that first book out there or getting that first draft or in you know obviously you want to shrink it down when you're getting started like getting the first page i got to give myself credit for that but as you're getting more into it you need to give yourself credit for getting to these different milestones and the advice is to have those milestones that practically have been set ahead of time and for me, I, I think that I've still struggled with that because on paper, it sounds like, oh yeah, that's, that's simple, you know, just, just get the milestones and write them down and then you're good. But you'll realize that like the milestones, and I'm sure you know this from your work, and I'm sure a lot of people would know this from the work that they're in, that when you set milestones before you really, really, really are into something, you'll be setting milestones that are way too high. And then you have to go through the process of saying like, okay, this is, this is too high for me. And that is such a hard thing to grapple with in your ego, to let your ego say, this is too high of a milestone. It's not that I will never get there. It's to say that I need to give myself credit for the steps that I take on the way there. Um, so even though I had that list, and I don't remember specifically what was on it, I had to basically have this reckoning of like, these milestones that I want are going to have to be kind of in flux, but I need to give myself credit for the smallest things that I do, the biggest things that I do, the things that I almost get, you know, and, and that's a lot of, you know, the, the more you're in, I think the higher ranks of any industry or the more you're not even in the higher ranks, but embedded in any industry and doing it regularly, you're going to get a lot of like missed opportunities where you're like, oh, I was working with, you know, this writer and he wanted to do something and he, he liked my stuff, but it didn't work out. And you got to learn to like give yourself credit for that because if not, you're just going to wake up every morning feeling like I put so much time and energy into everything and I still feel like a failure. And if, but even, even in like, you know, if you're a graphic designer and someone, you know, a brand reaches out to you and wants you to do a logo and then they go a different direction or they, you, they think you charge too much or whatever. If you walk away from that feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough for them or I'm not, that was, that was a moment of failure for me, then that's going to perpetuate in your life. And you've got to walk away from it being like, they may not be aligned with me right now, but they liked what I was doing. And I didn't give myself credit for being where I'm at because where I started, I would have never gotten that attention. So um, to answer the question more succinctly, um, I have always been a huge fan of fantasy, sci-fi. So like anything in that genre is, is like, a dream for me. Um, I, I've only done a couple in the sci-fi realm, and even then, I think it's more on like the there's kind of the subtext of sci-fi. It's kind of the setting. It's a little bit future. It's a little bit dystopia, but it's not so much like um, heavily embedded in a sci-fi world where you know the entire story revolves around this you know um, new universe that you're exploring. 
Okay. Um, now you are a one of my favorite content creators on um, TikTok. How how did you come to be on TikTok? Well, first of all, thank you. Um, I I was I you know I think I had a similar story with a lot of people on TikTok where I was seeing it reposted on like Twitter because I was I was really living on Twitter at the time um, for a couple of years or at least a year. Um, and they were doing great with their ads because, you know, even just watermarking the content is really, really a market strategy. But I was seeing a lot of people like reposting these videos. And, and for a long time, I had this thing that people still say to the day where it's like, well, if, if it's any good, then it's going to be on another platform or it's going to be posted somewhere else. And I really thought that for a while. And then lockdown happened. And I had a lot of time to go through this different content because I was unfortunately losing other work. Um, so I started going through this other content and I was just, I was so blown away with how much great content was out there and how much you could connect with so many different people uh, with, through a, a venue that's like pretty short form and it, it's pretty revolutionary in terms of what we do in media or, or in social media. Um, so I started posting around that time and kind of got a feel for it after a while. Um, but uh, it's 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 been a it's been a tricky journey, and I've had to take a few steps back and a few breaks from it because it um, it can really feel defeating. And I think it, it, it's designed to be that way, though. And I think a lot of these apps are designed to be that way. Um, if you really step back and think about it, it's it's kind of a little sinister about how a lot of these apps are programmed, even in all of these social media apps. And, even like YouTube and stuff like that, they are programmed for you to get that like excitement and that rush and that creative outlet and to really kind of rely on it as a crutch for so many different things, for your point of entertainment, for your point of connecting with people, your point of laughter. And then they start encouraging people who are in the creative field to use this as a platform. And it's a really op like awesome you know, venue to, to um, push your content or to you know, share your content. Um, but they're they're programmed in a way to have this kind of like intermittent reinforcement where it's like you're gonna get like we're gonna push it out you know to, to X amount of people but you know this video because of some analysis or just because it's kind of the luck of the draw we're not gonna push this out and then you're like well okay well I just spent X amount of time putting that together and now you're not pushing it out and 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 for a long time I thought I was just like okay my content shit you know that's, I was just kind of convinced of that. And then, but when other platforms started rolling out, or I was able to share the content, same concepts to other writers, or to um, just just in different venues or just different people, and it was being well received, or it was going viral on different apps, then I'm like, okay, well then there is there is something to this, and it's this, you know uh, intermittent reinforcement that drives you know um, their addiction, like the addiction to it is that like if if you always get good feedback if you always get a you know good video then you're not going to feel that drawn to it because it's just it's like take it for granted but if sometimes it's like pulling the, the slot machine if 50 percent of the time you get a win but 50 percent of the time you don't then you're going to be firing that dopamine like crazy and you're going to be more drawn to trying to get that win and then it's also kind of implied that like if you're not you know if, if your content being suppressed if you're getting like 30 percent likes and a lot of comments but you're not getting to less than half a percent of your followers well then it's your fault you know even though everyone who sees it seems to like it there's a huge engagement rate with it but if we stop sharing it well then that's your fault and so now you have this whole complex of like 
well, maybe you're full of shit. Maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe I need to go a different direction. And then you start changing your content and you start second guessing yourself. And then before you know it, you know, I'm just like, well, before I knew it, I was just kind of stepping back and being like, I, I can't put this much energy into this. I need to put energy elsewhere and then come back and see what I feel like putting to it and then kind of detaching from it. You know, I'll post it. If it does well, great. If it doesn't, who cares? It's like, I can't be that invested with it anymore. And so I'm sure you've experienced a very similar thing, but I, I think that it's kind of why it, it's kind of, they are explicitly programmed this way. And once you kind of realize that it makes it a lot less harder to engage fully with it and really to put, you know, that much devotion. in it. Yeah. No, something, anytime I have a um, TikTok creator on here, um, I like to ask uh, this question because it's, it's something that I experienced and kind of a big part of the reason I stepped away from my other account. Um, do you find with apps like TikTok and a lot of social media um, apps, when, when you start to get uh, a large following, do you feel like there are people who feel entitled to access to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think this is really pervasive on, on social media, but I think when you look at the social media platforms that are very anonymous, meaning like, you know, TikTok and Twitter mostly, um, and Reddit to an extent, um, but Reddit, I, I think is a little different, um, given that everyone feels kind of anonymous on there, but like Twitter and TikTok, there's this weird dynamic that, that happens where people, <clears throat> You're right, they do feel this entitlement to your content or your content being a certain way or you presenting yourself a certain way or you, you doing a certain thing or being you know so consistent or, or um, catering to them. And I think there is this alarming distortion when it comes to social media, particularly with people that are behind anonymous accounts and really have no filter because of that, um, that they can kind of uh, dehumanize whoever is on the other side of the screen. And even if it is somebody that they like and that they care about, uh, there's this weird, I, I guess you can call it kind of like a hate following thing. Um, but I think, I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but I, I, I am kind of alarmed by the fact that people who do support your account or like do support you as a creator will flip on you really quickly. And, and I don't think it's everyone, but I think it, there's, there's a, too many people that are entitled to a certain type of content and if you make too much of a certain content or you make too little of a certain content they are going to do a 180 and they're going to all of a sudden be leaving hate comments for you and i think there's this, this social media plays into this really strange distortion that people can say whatever they want to other people do whatever they want to other people um and and be say things that they would never you know say in person to someone who's literally putting in free labor time and effort and creative expression onto an app where you get paid pennies if at all um and and they will they will show up and be like why are you doing why did you say that you should have said this um and and that's that's like on the best side of these types of people these people are also types of people that feel that it is okay for them to leave you know homophobic and racist and bigot, bigoted comments on or just comments like picking apart your appearance. And, and it's like, sometimes I wish I can just sit in front of this person and just be like, can we take a second to, to reflect on what, what the fuck you just said to me? Like, it's like I am a complete stranger 
and I'm showing up on your feed and you may or may not have liked my content, but but you thought, okay, it's like going into a Starbucks and you're ordering a drink and then you see a barista and you're just like reaching over and being like, hey, you know what? Like your smile is kind of fucked up. Did you ever know? Like you would never do that, you know? And and it's partially it's like, I, I think um, it, it's frustrating and it's obviously it's hurtful at first, especially. Um, but then when you kind of dig a little bit deeper to it, I think that it's more, um, it's really indicative of the time that we're in where people are so withdrawn and lonely that they don't understand what connection and social interactions are. Like they think that they have this strong connection with whatever creator or whatever influencer, whatever celebrity that they're following. Um, but at the end of the day, they, they, that person doesn't know who they are. And then they think that they're leaving like criticism or just expressing their mind or just telling it like it is to other people, but they haven't, they're not out in the world enough to realize that like there is tell, telling it like it is, it's telling it like it is, is like there's, there's, uh, there's boundaries around that. Like there's telling it like it is. And then there's just being a dick or trying to get a reaction out of someone. And I think that so many of these people that have this issue of, of not being able to distinguish relationships well, um, have, have not been socializing enough with other people to understand what is and isn't okay. Um, but I think it is really indicative of the times that we're in where people are so withdrawn and so depressed and lonely and traumatized often that um, it's very easy to push buttons on people even if you don't mean to. And, you know, I'll get pushback sometimes, which is understandable given the, the types of content I make on the content itself. Um, and I think on one end, I, I try to be really careful about the content that I make, but at the same time, I do know that even if I am careful, you're going to push buttons with people because now more than ever, people are sitting alone in their room, surrounded by all of their demons and they have no other escape. So it's like, if you, if it feels like you are, you know, mocking those people or it feels like, or if they just don't like you or they just need an outlet for their rage or their hate or their anger, you just may be in, in, in the crossfire and you just get catch stray bullets for whatever the fuck they're going through in their life. And then it kind of becomes a snowball effect because once one person leaves the shitty comment, then other people kind of just dogpile and it kind of can get out of hand. Um, so I, I, I think that boundaries with people are something that I, I think is going to take a long time on social media for us to really understand the dynamics. We need a whole generation. I think maybe when with Gen Alpha, once like, you know, the younger side of Gen X and millennials and Gen Z are raising the kids, having grown up on social media, and having grown up on the internet, then maybe we'll start to see a change because you can actually teach kids not just like, oh, don't watch that, but like, why did you like, why are you know, walking them through what it means to say the types of things that they're saying on the internet? Okay. I don't That's... remember what the question was, but um, that was no, I mean, that was <laughs> no, that was that was absolutely it. Um, <laughs> so walk us through, um, how you what is, what is your process when you're creating content um it can vary a little bit but the most consistent way that content comes up for me is it's just random thoughts and i have like just you know which are a lot of crazy thoughts like this crazy long list of all these ideas that i want to do um sometimes i'll like pen it out and write it more other times i'll just kind of go back and forth in my head and you know Come up with the content um but largely it's, it's been just ideas that come up out of nowhere and a lot of them 
I would say probably the majority of them kind of just get shelved because it'll be um, referencing something that is kind of timely and it's like if a certain trend is happening or certain things going on and it's kind of like a take on that or a spin on that, those are usually the ones that I end up throwing away because they'll sit in my to-do list for six months and then the trend is, you know, been over for five months. Um, but I, what, what I started gravitating more to is, is taking some of the more, not long form, but long for TikTok and long for, you know, real type things. Um, the ones that are like 45, 60 seconds and, and kind of pulling them out of the list for TikTok partially because of the, the process of kind of disengaging and not putting so much into just TikTok and, and putting them into actual scripts that are um, that are formable into you know a, a established characters in what will hopefully be its own web series within you know the next six to twelve months. But that's fine with that. But I started kind of peeling out content away from TikTok because I'm like I can do this low, lo-fi and kind of throw it together and get, you know, not much out of it, or I can just focus on really short things for TikTok and minimize the effort for it and then keep the more high effort things on different mediums. And then maybe eventually we post it back to TikTok. But by and large, the process is just um, taking ideas as they float by and trying to get them into a notepad before my scroll brain like jumps <laughs> onto something else. <laughs> Uh, so what is your what is your draft folder look like? Is it is it a war zone? I don't actually keep drafts. I don't know. I, I see that all the time where people have like hundreds of drafts. I guess I don't I don't really start a video on, unless I'm going to complete it because um, I can't really have completed. It drives me crazy. So I, if I'm going to do a video, I'm going to do the whole thing. And usually I don't do it within any app. I'll do it outside of the app and then cut it together. Um, so yeah, draft draft folders aren't for me. And I have this weird paranoia. It's almost like um, if you're drafting an email and you leave the person's name in it, I'm so paranoid that I'm actually going to send it or actually going to post it <laughs> that I just keep it off the app entirely. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so last night was the uh, VMAs. Uh, did you did you watch it all? I watched a few short performances, a few highlights, but not the whole VMAs. I'm a, I'm a little iffy on, on music awards in general. Just I feel like we have a really weird thing in, I, I was going to say in our, in, in our society or our culture, but I think it, it, it extends kind of across borders. There's this really weird, extremely high expectation of musicians and at the same time, even with the extremely high expectation, even though so many musicians will meet that mark or surpass it, it still feels like it's not a it, it, it's, it's a not a winning game. Like you're not there's no real it, it doesn't feel like um, it doesn't feel like that the hard work correlates to or the hard work of the innovation or the or the creativity correlates to like being recognized. Um, and so even though I like all of the highlights that I've seen, aside from the fights, or I guess, <laughs> all the highlights I've seen from people are like, I love all of the people I'm seeing there. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy that they're getting recognition. But like, I think award shows in general, um, and I, the Grammys probably was the final push for me on that. Award shows in general, I just feel like they, because the VMAs itself, it's like video music awards. And I understand that that's kind of like a filtering mechanism, but it doesn't feel like it's really oriented around the video itself. It's 
really oriented around like who's got the biggest profit or who's got the biggest like potential, like who's going to bring in the most audience. And I think that's kind of the quiet part. The quiet part of the whole of, of the engagement is that it's really about like who's going to bring in the most audience or who's going to cause the most controversy. Controversy. That's not to say that it doesn't overlap. But I think a lot of, there's so many talented people that you see talented people cause a lot of controversy, and it and I like to see them win. Like obviously the one that comes to mind is Lil Nas X. I I think he causes so much controversy, throws up so much shit, but he is so good at highlighting such so many problems in America that we're just like not ready to deal with. So it's seeing him win and be successful, like that's that's awesome. That's and if that was the whole show, I probably would have watched it or things like that. But I think that just the the, the, the premise of a lot of these shows just don't feel like they're they're true like recognition of and and I think when when you see the top charts in America or the top charts in any country and then you see the award show and when we're talking about like in this extent beyond video music awards or Grammys or anything like that, but like any award show, so many of these award shows, it's really just about what is popular, not what is like groundbreaking or what has like is an interesting spin on an old thing or and sometimes that happens and it's great, but I think too often there's just been too many snubs, there's been too many like um and, and I mean this is from way back. I don't even remember what officially was my last row where I'm like I'm done. Um but they, I just kind of have the sour taste in my mouth around award shows. Um, I think a lot of the highlights when it comes to like Livio Rodrigo and Little Nas X, especially Little Nas X and, and, and Chloe's performance, it's like, it's good to see them win and it's good to see them be successful. Um, and it's good to see that even amidst controversy, someone like Little Nas X is succeeding despite that um, and not just like because of that. But I think they know, like, execs are, they're smart. They're not idiots. They know who's bringing in money. They know who's bringing in attention. And to see someone that pours so much into just a, a couple of tracks and, and really um, pushes the conversation and pushes the envelope and forces people to like look at their own internal biases and, and, and issues um, while having fun and keeping it light and having levity and still having so much talent. Like I can't, can't respect someone more than that. Like it, it's really awesome. But the show in general, meh, you know. On what about you? What are your thoughts? How how I mean, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't actually watch it. Um, I like. Okay, you. So I could have just made up everything and just totally fucked with you. <laughs> oh, like, absolutely, absolutely. It was so crazy that <laughs> Little Nas X shot Jack Harlow. I can't believe you didn't see that. Yeah, it's on on live TV. How did you not? <laughs> um, I, I just, I quit watching the VMAs about the same time that MTV stopped regularly showing music videos because it was like yeah. how what's what's our measure of like how we're, we're not really like we're not really weighing the music video we're not really it's not about the music video but i think it's very like indicative of mtv and it's, it's kind of funny to me it feels almost like a troll where it's like for years everyone's known that mtv is not music tv it's not music videos it's ridiculousness for like eight hours a day at least at least for like right. 11 it's crazy and it's, it's like, you know that they know that. And it's almost like this, the unsaid thing is like, it's not really about music, but we're still going to be an authority on music. And it's kind of like, this, it's just kind of funny to me. It's like big fuck you to all of us, but yeah. it doesn't make me want to engage with it. Um, 
I do wish there was more like, I do wish there was like, an award show that actually was focused on these different things, that was focused on music videos and like what these music videos brought to the table, what conversation did they start? Are they taking something old and doing a new spin on it? Are they, did they do something completely creative and different and new? And, or did they do something that's really repetitively done, but they did it so well that it's like mind blowing, you know, or, or taking something and really just simplifying it and having such a basic low budget music video, but they did it so well. See, like there's so room to actually give credit where credit's due, but I don't think that that's, I think it really comes back to the audience. I mean, the audience isn't looking for that. I don't think the audience, unfortunately, cares. Like if, if they were to have a category for like best, you know, low budget music video and, you know, the winner like made a music video with like $400 and, and it looked amazing. I don't think people really care, but it's one of those things where it's, I guess it's easy to say from my position, but not an executive, but I feel like as an executive, you have such a good opportunity to really make somebody's career to like help people, you know, hard work really pay off and to, to really be an authority on music. Like you can just post an award show and have performances and, and collect people that are really talented in, in order to, you know, make money off of it. Um, but at the same time, you do have an opportunity where you could be like kind of that authority that's like, you know, we have a panel of experts and people in the industry and, you know, cinematographers and, and musicians that are looking at these different music videos that are submitted and we're blown away by these ones. And you can make that small artist take off. You could really be so like authoritative in the music industry where you can actually help create careers and do more in the world than just make money. But I think that's the disconnect is like when it boils down to just being like, we want to stay away from risk and we've got to make money, got to make money, got to make money, then I think that's, I think that's kind of that subconscious thing that a lot of us chew into and it makes us kind of stop engaging with it. It doesn't feel authentic anymore. Even if people who are showing up there are talented and deserving of recognition, it's like, it's like, what about everyone else? And I think living in LA really highlights that because I meet thousands of extremely talented musicians and people doing low budget stuff and low, and it's like, where, where's the record, where's the effort? It's not even the recognition, not everyone needs, like can get recognized, obviously, but where's the effort to shine a light on the people that are up and coming in different industries and trying to, to make it and doing really well. It's like, well, we'll let them like, you know, fight it out. We'll let them and we'll see who survives. And then, then we'll like see, then we'll throw them into a contract and then we'll see how they fare in that. And then if they bring us enough money, then we'll treat them like an artist. If not, then they're just, you know, scavengers. And it feels like that's how a lot of art is, is treated nowadays. On, on the flip side of the VMAs being last night, um, tonight is the Met Gala. Um, would you go if you were invited? I would, of course. I... I think it would be interesting to dissociate and watch myself at, at a Met Gala because <laughs> even in my day-to-day -day life, sometimes I feel like I'm so disconnected from like, I feel like I would have to really lean into it and do something just insane. I don't think I could just wear something normal because sometimes I feel like in, in it's not even really like these higher end environments, super, you know, rich, expensive places, even in places that are like, a little bit bougier than other places sometimes i feel like ridiculous like i feel like i'm putting on this like 
facade of like I normally wear suits. I normally like have dressed like it feels like a, a song and dance. But I feel like if I'm gonna do the song and dance, like lean into it. You know, get get like a 1920s pipe that you're smoking or something, or like or hat or or dress like you're from the Victorian era or something. So that's why I do like seeing like some of the outfits that are like again more controversial, but controversial for no reason. Where people are like really taking liberties and having fun with it, because if you're gonna go through this whole like bougie song and dance thing, like why why not have fun with it, you know? Um, and it, it it's almost like if you were to take someone today and rewind them, or this is how I feel. If I were to be rewound into like 15th century, I don't know, Britain or something, and I'm in like the royal castle. And they're doing whatever party they do. I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm clearly not brushed <laughs> up on my history. I have no idea. I don't even know. Were they, were they around yet? Um, and if I were in that environment, I would have no idea. Okay, first of all, I probably wouldn't be allowed to decide. But I'd, I would have no idea how to interact with people. I'd have no idea how to like dress or talk to people. And 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 that's how I feel even today in many situations, unless like I'm very familiar with people that I'm around. But even then, it's like, why do we? separate these certain occasions to, to dress up and be really nice. But then even then it's like, it's controversial if you dress up too much. It's like, then it's a spectacle. And it's like, well, why? Like, you guys don't dress like this in everyday life. Like most rich people are like using poverty as an aesthetic. So you, most of the days you guys are like dressing like bums because but it's like in a $600 bum outfit. But now when you're dressing up, it's like, it's a spectacle if you dress up too much. So I'm like, for me, I'm like, you're going to dress up. You're going to like go all out. Like, Work with a stylist, get them some credit, and go lean all the way in. Dress up like an alien from Avatar. Like go like <laughs> West Hollywood, um, you know, LA or LA Halloween before COVID. Um, like you would see a lot of you know costume designers and stuff and, and makeup artists really go all out with their costumes. Like maybe this is just weighing in on my perspective of life, but that I think is that that would be fun to see at Met Gala is really taking that type of mentality of just going all out and bringing it there and, and really why not like why not dress up like an elf from lord of the rings and those fancy ass robes and like you know like it, lean into it have fun with it um now taking a uh one of the points that you just made about celebrities wearing like six hundred dollar hobo outfits um what is your take on this recent trend of celebrities coming out saying that they don't bathe I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Why are people not showering? Like you would swear, you would swear that people are responding to a water crisis or something. I just, I don't know. I, I guess everyone comes up a little bit differently, but I feel like there was like phases of like unveiling the un, un, like unveiling the truth about people's life livelihoods. Whether like at first it was like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't really put lotion on, and that was that was strange to me because I'm like. I've always been like always just a little bit slippery because I always have way too much lotion on. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't wash my legs. And it's like, why, why go through all the effort? Why waste the water? Why, why do it if you're not going to wash your whole body? I don't understand. And isn't it like itchy? Does it like, I got so many questions, but it's, I, I almost don't want the answers. And then it goes to the phase <laughs> of like, oh, I don't, I don't bathe at all. And the, on one level, I'm, I'm disgusted and on the other level I'm I'm curious because it's like what kind of what kind of brain power what kind of lack of shame what kind of 
borderline sociopathy, what kind of like free spirit are you where you don't you don't feel the need to bathe at all? You're not worried about what anyone thinks about fucking anyone. And maybe there is a correlation there to why people that are really successful feel like they don't have to. Maybe that's how they got successful because they just don't fucking care how people perceive them. They don't care if people are disgusted by their presence. They don't care at all. So maybe there's something to it. But I'm also afraid of this stage four of like what that means. We went from no lotion to not washing your, your feet or legs to not bathing at all. And I'm afraid of what this next next phase of like truth revealing is that people are like bathing in sewage or, or I don't know what it is, you know. And, and given the, the pattern of like shoving eggs up your vagina as some sort of like home remedy from food, like given that, it wouldn't surprise me if there's an article put out that like, oh yeah, these celebrities bathe in toxic sewage as like, a way to boost their immune system or something batshit crazy and they're just walking around spewing that among among the populace right? i'm afraid of the direction we're going um but i'm thankful to see that some celebrities are emphatically not only showering but emphatically showering and coming coming clean with that yeah it's just it's it's wild to me because there was the quote from um kristen bell and dax shepherd where they were like oh, we don't bathe our kids until you can see the dirt. And it's like, if like a regular non-celebrity person did that, they would have CPS called on them. Like those kids would be yeah. taken out yeah. of the home, but you're just out here in People Magazine talking about, yeah, my kids are filthy because, you know, fuck it. Yeah. I think it, it, it highlights a, a disparity in different different areas because, I mean, if you're wealthy, the, the level that you have to reach to like, to have like CBS or something called on you. Like, I don't know the details of their situation, but yeah, the level that you would have to reach for someone to actually be concerned is way higher. But I think, on, you know, on the other side of that, it really highlights that a lot of us always have to be on our best behavior. And and especially if like, if you're poor, if you're like struggling with poverty, or if you're, you know, you know going through something like mental health crises. And, and that's, and when I first heard about that, that's what I thought they were talking about. I thought it was like, I don't shower, I haven't been showered. Like when people are telling me that the celebrity says they're not showering or like someone's complaining about another celebrity not showering, I'm like, oh, he's going through it. Like he's, there's something going on. He's, they're depressed. They're, they're struggling with like anxiety or whatever. And it's like, no, this is my best self. I'm just not showering. And it's like, it's crazy for, because people who struggle with mental illnesses, like showering can be that, that's often like something that you can't actually do when you're really struggling. And it's something you have to every single day, like, even though you don't even want to like get out of bed or live, you've got to force yourself to put yourself together to be presentable to society. And then you see on the other hand, if people are like, oh no, I'm as happy as can be. And I don't feel the need to be presentable to anyone else. And I think as many like axes as, as, as many hurdles that you have to come over to like uh, be acceptable to people is, is the more disorienting it is to see people like not care at all and not feel the need to be presentable to, to, to anyone else. Okay, so we have gotten to the point in the show where um, I bring out a letter from a listener. Um, this one comes to us from a Mr. Bill P. Hello, Bill. Thank you for listening to the show. I appreciate you. Um, Bill would like to know what your thoughts on um, the kids who get on social media and act like music wasn't made before 2001. Um, I think 
I feel like I have to kind of like in my head set the scene where my head's at because I there's 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 comments that that get made and especially with TikTok given that it's around audio and reels now and shorts now that so because it's around audio a lot of people are first introduced to music through that kind of like menu um, so that's their only frame of reference for it. Um, but it can drive me insane when someone's like, oh, that's the TikTok song. And often I have no idea what they're even referencing because I'm on a completely different side of whatever app they're talking about. Um, and it makes me want to scream because it's like, no, this is like, a, this is my nostalgia. This is, this is part of my fucking childhood. And you're over here telling me it's part of your little like dance? No, you know, but then I have to like kind of take a step back and think like, you know, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And I think that um, probably if you rewound when we were all kids before TikTok was around, we probably made a lot of stupid comments like that too. Probably not as often, but probably like, oh, that's the song from whatever movie. And they're like, no, the song's been around since the 40s. What are you talking about? You know? Um, but I think that uh, I don't think, I, I don't take issue with it. I think it's, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. Um, it, it's only sad that I feel like a lot of, um, great music is lost with time, but I don't think that has really anything to do with what they're saying or, or they're, they're thinking that it's only on TikTok because I think that happens with all media and music that a lot of it gets just lost with time. And I mean, there's countless, countless songs where you just hear them and you're like, I forgot this song existed, but like when you're flashing back to some other time. Um, and I think over time, they'll start cluing into the fact that like, oh, these songs are not all made for TikTok and most of them come from somewhere else. Um, but I think, uh, and I think another element of that is it's kind of highlighting the issue that we have where we have like five or six generations, like five generations of people that are all in the same, like, it's like everyone, like there's like six generations of people at, at the same party. And so I think a lot of the issues that you see on social media are, are like a result of that or like six generations like in the same like slack channel or in the same chat room or whatever and we're in the same group chat like uh there's going to be a lot of disconnects in like you know and, and we've never had that before in in history before i mean even in the early internet it wasn't i guess in the early internet it was like that but now more than ever everyone's conversations are all overlapping and we're talking to people where like in the 60s i'm assuming like it's you know me if I'm over here telling someone my thoughts on the whatever war of 1812 and some guy is 70 years old, he's going to be like, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you know, shut up. Um, and so that I think a lot of conversations were narrowed down by like your immediate peer group or the people that you work with. And that were kind of restricted in within like maybe like five, 10 years. But now you've got eight year olds, sometimes 11 year olds talking or saying things online. And they're responding to 65-year-olds or they're responding to 50-year-olds. So it's no surprise that there's going to be a lot of tension about things where it's just like, what are you talking about? And I think we have to kind of reconcile with the fact that there are like seven and eight-year-olds, even though they shouldn't be on these apps, that are all on these apps. And they are loud and you don't know who they are sometimes. And, and they're out here like discussing things as if they have like a frame of reference for it and they don't. Um, so I can't, you can't be too mad at like, and 11, 12 year olds who doesn't know stuff from before their time. You know, I didn't know stuff before my time, and most people I don't think did. And and even the stuff that we do often hear, like our parents play or our older siblings play, like we, sometimes it's like just eh, and sometimes we don't like it at all. So we kind of avoid that kind of music. 
so I don't think you can blame kids and, and younger kids for not understanding the frame of reference, like where things come from. And I think over time they learn more of where things come from. But I think it highlights an issue where in the internet we're going to have to figure out ways to have conversations and, and really understand who we're talking to because if you're talking to someone who, you know, was at 9/11 and the person that's commenting was like not born or was four years old. The, the opinions on the matter are going to be formed in completely different silos. So of course there's going to be a disconnect. But I think sometimes we jump into conversations thinking that everyone has the same amount of information in their brain that we do. And I fall into that all the time where it's like I'm saying something and I'm like, I don't get like what's not clicking. I don't get what you're not getting, but it's like they're not getting what I'm not getting because they didn't live my life. They don't know what I've seen. They don't know what, what I've heard. They don't know what music I've listened to. They don't know, you know, the whole history of it. And um sometimes it happens on the, the flip side where I'm like, people are like are you are you an idiot? What are you talking about? Because I don't know. And sometimes things that I was around for, like I was like a functional human being, or like I was a ten year old, where like not paying attention to everything, but you would think that I would know what was going on at the time. And I'm like, oh, I I had never heard of that. I don't know what that is. Um, I fall into that trap with a lot of things, even that um, like I should know a lot more about, but I don't. You know, even in my own in, like industries and in my own field of work, it's like oh i i've never even heard of that and they're like it's literally a, a classic movie and i'm like oh well i guess i'm gonna watch it now because i hadn't heard of it before but we all grew up in different environments and especially if you come from like a different background and culture where that's not part of like our media palette or whatever like yeah i'm not gonna know what that is um but i but i've also as an adult you need to eventually develop the understanding that you don't know everything so don't be like oh yeah this just came out or this is brand new it's like it's almost like the whole cliche thing where it's like oh yeah i was into them way before you know <laughs> when really it's like you just learned about them um so i think it's kind of an example of that but now it's five generations having that same conversation all the time now when this episode goes out um it will be the day after voting um for the the recall in California. Um, as, a, as a resident of the great state of California, uh, thoughts and predictions on how this recall election is going to unfold? I, I, I don't know what to think. I think that um, normally I would be like, I'd be pretty sure that, you know, California is a pretty solidly blue state. Um, so it's, I would normally not think, but I think in recall elections in general, the way that they're set up is oriented in a certain way that, that is more oriented to whoever is forming the recall. And it, it um, obviously gives much greater chances that Gavin Newsom would be recalled. Um, I personally am not supportive of the recall. Uh, I personally won't be voting for the recall. Um, and I think recalls in general are something that I, I, I think Eventually, when we have a functional government across the board, it's like, we need to kind of revisit that. I, I do support holding people accountable when it's necessary. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of politicians I can think of, a lot of judges I can think of, like, that should be recalled if not, you know, just, like, added, you know, having term limits for that. Um, one day, I think it's the, the process of a recall, we really need to dive into that. Because in the state of, of California, where there's 40 million people, to think that somebody can get 10,000 votes and become a governor is crazy to me. And I, and I think this applies to pretty much any state because you, that, that you can't get rid of that 
disparity of the people that come out for the general election and the people that come out for a recall election. Um, and it's hard enough to get people to know that the general election is going on. So obviously getting people to understand that there's a recall election going on is next to impossible. So it seems like a system that's inherently set up for um, whatever group it is, if they have enough momentum to grab power. And I think it's something that at some point we really need to revisit, but it, it falls also in line with this issue where we don't have, we don't have a vet, uh, effective voting system um, in the sense of like, it, it blows my mind to this day that in a country like the United States, we will have elections and then we'll get mad that people don't turn out to vote, but then it's like, well, look at the way it's set up. It's on a fucking Tuesday, like on a Tuesday. Um, it's not a holiday. People don't get paid off, paid time off for it. And there's only one day to do it. And then in many states, you don't even get the ability to vote by mail. Thankfully, I'm in, in California and you can do that or it's like drop off and it's just constantly restricting. So it's like, feels like we're going the wrong way with it. But I think in an ideal future, like voting days, I mean, they should be consolidated. They should be like, you know, um, the information should be readily available to everyone. You should have a ballot immediately for yourself. You should be automatically enrolled and you shouldn't have it, have it or have to figure out a way to vote on a fucking Tuesday within like business hours. It, it, it's, it's insane. It's so blatantly on the nose trying to keep people from voting. And so when you see the party that's been proactively across the country trying to keep people from voting, pushing an effort to have a recall election, it's, it's very much in line with this, the fact that the best advantage that a lot of these people have in that party is when the least amount of people can vote. And um, I think it, it, it's a huge highlight on the, the biggest, the bigger issues. One of the biggest issues in the United States is that we don't have any actual systems for people to be able to vote reliably and securely. Like there's no reason why we shouldn't be putting the funding in to have obviously secure voting systems but also being able to have absentee ballot. Like I can get an Amber Alert for a car that I can't, would never be able to remember the license plate of. And I'm glad that system's in place, but how come we wouldn't have the same thing for like the types of things that the government is doing or our ability to contribute to the government? It should be as easy to, to vote as like getting a Starbucks. And it shouldn't be like, oh, you got this one day to do it. If you don't do it, then you're shit out of luck, you know? Um, it, and the fact that we even have to register to vote as, as a, you know, if you're a citizen of the country is, is another highly, and I think when you just put all these together, like all of these different barriers um, to entry when it comes to voting, it really highlights that they are not interested in what the people actually have to say. And then when you have things like recall elections, regardless of the state that it's in, where, you know, five, 10, 15,000 people can override the, the previous vote of hundreds of thousands of people, um, if not millions, then it really shows that it's not about giving voice to the people. It's not about an actual democratic contribution. It's about who can play the game better and grab enough power. And we all know that that's the case, but but um, it's it's times like these and it's, it's issues like voting that really highlight that you know people are not interested in what the people have to say. People are interested in you know people in power gaining more power um, or people with you know. Uh, a certain agenda getting, you know, uh, an end to, or a means to an end. Um, it's not about us. It's about, you know, the powerful forces that be. And when I say powerful forces, I mean like special interest groups, lobbyist groups, you know, um, 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 and the people that are, you know, uh, subject to them who are on their payroll or in, have them in their ear um, and, 
and I think it, it and even beyond that, I think there's too many politicians where um, we understand money corrupting people, and I think that that's pretty obvious. Um, but I think that power itself corrupts people, and it's a pretty obvious statement. But I think that a lot of people get into power, and their only interest is them staying in power. They have really no interest. Like they'll do the bare minimum to keep people like from attacking them at their town halls. But in terms of like anything else, they're going to do whatever it takes for them to be in power. And if that means I need to push efforts to get enough money to just blast, you know, TV ads and social media ads with all the fear mongering in order to get people to vote for me. I don't care if those people can eat. I don't care if those people, you know, are getting a good education. I don't care if those people are safe in their homes or safe when they walk outside or have clean water. As long as I'm in power, because I've got my retirement, I've got my health care, I've got my fat salary. And I think that even people who are sometimes well-intentioned get into office and just want to stay in the office or stay in office. And so you see them making moves across the country to to um, act against the, the will of the people. And I think recall elections are a pretty good example of that. I, I think on paper, when it's the theory, it's like, yeah, recall, of course. You, you need to recall someone. You should be able to recall. But if you're going to recall someone, you should have just as many people weighing in on that. And you should do everything as possible to make sure just as many people are weighing in on that as the people that put them in office. Because we don't want someone who promises something, gets in office, and it's just fucking horrible. You know, we've seen that play out. Um, we need a, a means by which to recall them. But if the recall is going to be 10,000 people who are in a fucking Facebook group, you know, all in consensus when everyone else is against them, then it's clearly a flawed, a flawed system. That was actually the best explanation of how flawed our voting system is that I I think I've heard in a while. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, so we've come to the point in the show uh, where I play a game with all my guests. Um, I have 15 just random questions. Uh, some I found on the internet. Uh, some were sent to me by uh, friends on social media. Uh, you down to play? Let's do it. All right. Number one, uh, what website, not app, do you frequent the most? Um, that's a leading question. I know what that's I know what that's leading. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, kind of, um, gosh, what I think probably Reddit. Well, I guess that's kind of an app. I just don't use the app, but I use I Google search, but then I Google search like with the uh, um, Google dorking. To like make sure it's all results from Reddit. When I want an actual opinion and not like these fake article reviews where they like you're like, oh, what's the best washing machine? And you get five thousand websites from like blog posts of like the day that my you know whatever like General Electric you know washing machine helped me save the life of my kid who locked himself in it because there was that fancy little function that allowed me to open to open it after he did that. These stupid articles that like are just you know ads with more words to them. Um, Reddit is a really great way of getting kind of the best and worst of, you get the most critical reviews, but you also get people who are really going to get honest reviews. So I frequent that a lot. Gosh, what else do I frequent? Um, I feel like that doesn't really count. That is an app. I just don't use the app. That's a great question. Um, I think it highlights the fact that websites are dying, social apps, like apps and so 
but I think that, yeah, it would have to be rooted. Okay. Um, sweet tea or lemonade? Sweet tea. I mean, so I drink Rockstar lemonade, but I have to like dilute it and stuff because it's like a little too strong, like with the taurine and stuff. Sweet tea, if I had to choose between the two, sweet tea is usually where it's at. All right. Um, who was your favorite Spice Girl? Spice Girls. Who was my favorite Spice Girl? I feel like I wasn't. Are you like, old enough to have a favorite Spice Girl? I don't know. Um, I feel like when Spice Girls was around, I don't know. Well, when were they around? Was like late 90s, early 2000s, right? No, mid 90s. Oh, okay. That's why. I feel like I'm, I only, I know like the big, like two songs and I don't really know any of the, of the other ones. Um, so I, this is a great example of someone who possibly <laughs> should know reference for music, but doesn't. So I think, um, yeah, that kind of highlights, it kind of illustrates my previous one. I just, I didn't really know. Um, I just know they're kind of main two songs. And, um, but I know it's on a TikTok song. I know that. <laughs> um. What is the most terrible thing that you've watched all the way through on a streaming service? Terrible as in like shitty, like low quality or terrible as in like, like, like you, like you got to the end of it and you were like, I can't believe I just fucking watched all that. Oh, um, yikes. That's, that's a little hard. Um, because I feel like I'm I'm overly opinionated, so I feel like I can't be too hard on on them itself. Because I just I get nitpicky on things. Um, but let me think. I think the most recent one was what was it? I was yelling at my TV about some shit. What was it? Um, <laughs> it was something in reality TV, which I don't watch that often. But maybe it was Love Is Blind. I was I watched all the way through, but it wasn't like low quality. I was just like blown away at the way that like the way that um some of the I'm not gonna spoil it, but like how some of the characters unfolded. One particular character turned out to like I was rooting for him, and he turned out <laughs> to be just a dog, just 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 a dog. It's horrible. Um, but it wasn't low quality. It was an entertaining show in terms of low quality. Like I don't know. I feel like I. I can't really say. I think that I was, I can't say it was horrific, but I was disappointed with uh, a movie called Synchronic. Um, but I think I may have had different expectations for what the movie was in, versus what it actually actually was. Like, I thought it was something different. Um, but I think I kind of disengaged when, and this is where I get nitpicky, where the premise I would like, when they kind of explain the premise, and it was kind of like click to the audience, like what, what was happening. I was like, wait, but that doesn't make sense. Like that, is, that doesn't work. Like how does that, like you can't just like half explain the science there. Like I'm going to need a little bit, a little bit more. And that's where I kind of get annoying in terms of like, um, I'm just more nitpicky than I think most people would. I think many people would just enjoy it. I, I get fixated and I can't let it go. Um, and I think the, the last one, which is not horrific, not terrible. I was just extremely disappointed. Um, because I know how good the show is, was um, like, there's like two or three of the episodes of Rick and Morty's latest show, which I was streaming on Amazon or something, uh, the latest season. 
And I, I was really, really disappointed because I know how good the show is. I know how good the writers are, the concept. Like, I, the first four seasons, I have seen, and this is this is a highlight of how fucking weird I am. I, I've had them on the background, so I've probably seen them or heard them six, seven times each. And the earlier ones probably even more. Like, that's how amazing I thought the show was because the writing is so good that you can watch it, watch it again, and there's layers and layers and layers of comedy and humor and, like, character development and it's dark so it's kind of like my kind of humor so it's like right in line with what i like and then in this latest season i feel like it's an adult swim show um so for an adult swim show typically i'll watch them it's just kind of like casual watching but they kind of blew it out of the park and being such use when they used to stand out from other adult swim shows that were kind of just like you know slapstick not that serious and not that you know uh just kind of lighthearted, not that big of a deal they stood out as being like really really good and now they've kind of just regressed into like casual like robot chicken kind of watch where it's like yeah there's some chuckles here and there but like just to go from where i was to what i thought other than like the last two episodes which were really good the other parts of the season now i was i was disappointed i was really bummed and i was uh i mean i was watching at a certain point i was completely tuning out it was just like so so chaotic and there's just i just feel like are you guys trying like you care about the season or like what's happening so i don't know if you're familiar with the show but i think it's Rick and Morty fans are really annoying, and I think they probably know that, but that's also why I nitpick other shows, because Rick and Morty fans are annoying, and I think if you're on a first date with someone and they say, I watch Rick and Morty, um, you should only communicate with them by text for at least like six weeks until you really, like, figure out whether or not they're a sociopath or a lunatic or just a horrible, nagging, toxic person, because I can barely talk to the other people that like the show, because we're obnoxious, and I don't think I'm not bad, but like we've got a pretty bad fan base and maybe that's the fan base has just driven the writers into their own pit because they know that like, Oh my God, all of these Redditors are eating me alive when they used to like, like the show and now they're just picking it apart. So maybe that's it as creator of creative person, people like I get that. Um, but I was just really let down. Like I was, I was really disappointed. Are you familiar with the show by chance? Um, I, I've, I've watched it here and there. I'm not like, yeah. 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 I mean, I enjoy it. I, I, yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's a hit and miss. I think not everyone's type of humor, not everyone's type of thing. So, totally get that. Pancakes or waffles? I was going to get me in trouble. I do like pancakes more. <laughs> um, I've been getting more into like French toast. Like, I lean more on the French toast side, but like, I feel like everyone I know very into waffles. Like, pancake is just a No, pancakes. They're good. They're solid. I like them. Uh, Renaissance fair or sci-fi convention? It depends on what kind of sci-fi convention it is. Um, I haven't really been. I've only been. I've been to a Renaissance fair. I haven't really been to a lot of like sci-fi sci-fi conventions because there's. But I have heard there's different types. Like there's one that happens. Gosh, I, I don't remember when it happened, and I don't even remember what it's called. But it's um, it's basically they build a whole like post-apocalyptic town. And I, that's the one I want to go to because they literally construct all these buildings and you know set designers and stuff like that coming together to to rebuild these sci-fi post-apocalyptic world. And it's and it's not you don't have to suspend that much disbelief. It's as far as I'm like it was explained to me where you're kind of walking into the dystopia. You're not. It's just like however you would behave in this environment is like what it is. So you don't have to like put on a Renaissance demeanor to fully engage with it because that's kind of like that's not going to happen. I you know I don't know what that was like. But in a dystopian future type thing, it's like, oh, well, how would I interact with like 
if I walked into a bar and they're like, you know, putting dead bugs into like, you know, my food or whatever like that, because that's all there is to eat. I don't know if that's what happens, but I, that's how it was explained to me where it's like kind of setting the scene where it's like you, as you are now, are thrown into this kind of dystopian like town that they all build and then you're going to clubs and you're going to bars and it's just what it would look like after, which I think is like really fucking amazing, but I haven't been to it yet. So hopefully I get to it. That sounds cool as hell. Are you a sci-fi fan? Um, I mean, like you said, it depends on like what it what it is. Um, mm. Like I could I could do Comic Con for days. Oh, yeah. um, mm. I could do like the Star Wars convention. I I could do that, um, but like I couldn't I couldn't do Star Trek. You know, out, because out, outside of like Next Generation, I I don't have that much reference for the other shows. So. I don't have a driver to be honest. Like I, a little bit here and there, but not mostly secondhand stuff. Like I wasn't actually that into it. And for being into sci-fi, you would think, but yeah, so I get it. Um, do you have an unusual celebrity crush? Like somebody who, when you bring it up, people are like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" I know as soon as the show is over, I'm gonna run. These, these questions are always tricky for me, even when it's like, who's your favorite blank, blank? And it's like, I don't know who exists, I forgot. Um, but then afterwards, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, and then I have a whole, I'm going to just start keeping a list. I, don't, I can't think of it. Are there any un- unusual ones that you've heard people say? And then, like, was, like maybe it'll jog my memory, I can just weigh it. But, like, what about you? Do you have unusual crushes on celebrities? Um, I can just judge your response instead of <laughs> Um... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I've got like a weird one. Like all of mine are pretty middle, middle of the road. Like people are like, uh, okay, I could see that. Um, let's see. I just, I just actually the last uh, interview I did, uh, the person said uh, Dennis Rodman was hers. Um, that was a, okay. that was a new one. Um, I don't know. Like, um, like I like, uh, Who's that kid from Third Rock from the Sun? Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think I think he's adorable, yeah. and a lot of yeah. people like don't don't get that. Um, really? Yeah, which is it's weird. The, this is this is the tricky part because I don't understand people. I don't understand the filter they're putting it through because it's like when I'm trying to think of like weird looking or weird unusual celebrities, I can't think of because they're all attractive. They're just some of them look different, maybe a little unconventional, but like I can't even think of a celebrity where I'm like that's an ugly person you know i think there's like a few that are like have blown up because they keep getting those roles cast as like like uh the guy from scary movie 2 with the hand um, oh yeah yeah yeah, chris Elliott. yeah like yeah yeah he's done so many roles because he's like like people like that will be pushed into those roles but it's like even then like it's like it is played up like they're not that off-putting of people but like most celebrities are pretty attractive so it's hard to say that like oh this one's this one's weird i guess I mean, if, if most people have the same one, then it, it wouldn't take much for it to seem unusual to people. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, he is adorable. Why, why would anyone not like him? I would like to hear their case made for why that's unusual or weird. Well, I, I guess it's because, like, they, they still see him as, like, that little, little kid with the, you know, the long bob from Third Rock from the Sun. 
Oh, yes, yeah, I don't. I saw him, I, I, I discovered him when he was older, or I think he's older than me, so it's like now. I never say I that suspected. So I get that, but like that's that's not even a valid reason. It's like, yeah, like, like oh, this person was a child, so therefore they're not a child. Like, yeah, so so was everyone else. So like, I don't think that that's not a valid reason. Like, he's not weird or unusual. Yeah. Um, underwear always on or only when you have to. Always on. I don't understand that either. Um, this is another thing that people I think are getting a little too comfortable in their pants and revealing what's in their pants. I don't understand people who don't wear underwear. I've run across a few people who will like have their own creative twists on what underwear means where they're like, oh, I only wear thongs or I only wear jockstrap. Like, I'm, like it, it, it's very strange to me. I don't think I could be comfortable, even though it is more constricting, I guess. It, it, I don't think I could be comfortable never wearing underwear. And it's the same thing with sleeping naked in bed. It's like, I think I get what you guys are going for, but that, and I don't know if this is, this is what you do, so I'm going to tread carefully, but that feels disgusting to me. And <laughs> so hopefully you don't do that, but I'm not into that. I don't, I think it's strange to not have wrapping on these areas as much as possible. I, I don't sleep naked because I'm just, I'm always afraid like the house is going to catch on fire in the middle of the night and I'm going to have that's to like, bolt. So yeah, that's rational. I, I get that. Um, I always, I, I do debate what I would do if the house were to catch on fire because I'm always thinking like, what could I grab though? Like, I know you're supposed to just get out, but it's like, you know, some, some things are expensive and it's like, am I willing to die for this $3,000 MacBook? Like, I don't know, maybe. Like if I, it's pretty light. I should be able to, to grab it, right? right? And I mean, when I had dogs, that was obviously the issue. Like, if, and if I can grab the dog, you know, on my way, I'm gonna go pick up the keys from like my MacBook and stuff like, so that's probably how I'm going to die now that I'm saying it out loud. Like, <laughs> coins would get this because I always lose my keys. So I'm probably going to lose my keys and die of smoke inhalation. Um, so just look out for that new bill article. Um, if you could have an entire movie theater to yourself, uh, what movie would you watch? Um, why did I think immediately of the confession stand? That says a lot about why. I <laughs> um, I, like, I, immediately, I'm like, okay, well, how many confessions can I have? Can I? So I think that's the priority: getting concession stands set up throughout the theater. You know, making sure quick access, pay someone great money to like refresh them. You know, so I don't have to get up and leave. Um, wait, what was the question? What movie? Yeah, what movie would you watch? Oh, okay. Um, what movie would I watch? Um, I think that I would probably watch. The Avengers series just to get the full impact of it. Maybe rewatching the old Marvel. Um, some of them really hold up well still, like even the, the old like X Men stuff, like that I am really nostalgic about when I was really little seeing that. Like rewatching that and like full town, the full experience. I did see a few of them in theaters anyway, but um, really like getting back into those. Um, pretty much any any um, experience that's intended to be super immersive. So, you know, hypothetically, if James Cameron were ever to release the other Avatar, I would love to watch that in theaters and I would. And but the original Avatar as well, I think, because it was so immersive and meant to be so immersive that it's something that I would want to watch in theaters um, again. But I think that um in, in, but even do you remember when Avatar came out and people were getting really depressed after they watched it? Yeah. Yeah. 
like there was a whole thing and, and it's like i kind of sometimes low key felt that i mean i was really little but like i, I wasn't really little but I was, I was young but i low key like felt that like this movie came out and earth is garbage and like the nice parts of earth are inaccessible and the parts that i have are covered in sewage and and, and waste and plastic you know it was, it was pretty depressing but i think that is every editor is a cgi you know person or special effects person that's their goal is to depress the audience with how amazing their their uh their movie is so Avatar successfully did that, so I would just, you know, fill up my antidepressant, go to the movie theater and watch <laughs> Avatar and weep about the state of the earth. Um, and then last, I would try and put some video games to play. Um, I think that would be that would be peak experience in the movie theater. That would be that would be cool. Um, do you wash your legs in the shower? I absolutely wash my legs in the shower. I don't. It's it's and this is the thing. I'm trying to convince people that. It's not, it's not that hard. Like you get the balance down and it becomes reflex. Like there was a moment I had to like check myself because I don't remember what I do in the shower. It's like so automatic. But I remember when the conversation first rolled around and I had to take a shower again. I'm like, oh, okay, I am washing my legs. But, but I had to like, of course I'm washing my own body, but I don't remember what I'm washing. So maybe I'm not, but I am every single time. And it becomes a reflex. And people, if you don't wash your legs, just try it. Just try it and feel how free it is to not have three centimeters of of grime and oils on your skin. It will feel amazing, trust me. Um, pool or ocean? Pool. I don't fuck with large bodies of water. I don't mind like dabbling in the ocean. I don't, I fully don't understand people that like do deep sea diving. I don't fucking get it. I, it's like people that that um, crawl into holes and go into like caves and shit and post videos online of like them yeah, almost getting stuck. There's places that people like human beings don't belong. I don't think we belong on the top of mountains. I don't think we belong in the middle of deserts like that valley. We don't belong in caves. We don't belong in the middle of the fucking ocean. Like if, if you were to picture going to like a world where they found alien life, like aliens, you know, chances are if you went to visit that world, um, it would be, you know, I would still go to a different world. But like if you were to go to visit that world, it would feel like the ocean where you're, you can't breathe the air. So you're in like a special suit. And you got to look 360 degrees in every direction to make sure something's not going to try and fucking heat you or something. I don't understand what's enjoyable about that. It's like, it triggers all of this agoraphobia to me where it's like, that sounds horrible to have impending doom and danger from every single angle. And, and it's stuff that I can just watch videos of, like, I don't need to partake in it. You know, I get the appeal of the ocean. I don't know why people would want to be stranded in the middle of it or diving within it. Like, it's kind of the thing that you... You dabble with a little bit, but I don't need to go deep into the ocean. And I'm in, I'm in by the port of LA, so I don't even touch the water. <laughs> but, yeah, like washing your legs would not be enough uh, to get that whatever's in that water off. If they were making a biopic about your life, who would play you? Um, there's not enough brown actors for me to have a big roster to pull from, um, so I can't, I can't really say. I don't know. Um, I would like to think that with the progression of CGI and like what Will Smith did with taking his face and aging it down, maybe I could play myself and really liven it up. Um, that's an extremely egotistical thing to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like over here, Evan Hansen or whatever that was. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, um, I'm not sure. I would want, I would want a crazy, like I would want them to like 
distort my biopic and I tell the same story, but like throw a curveball in it. Like, like have Doja Cat baby. Like swap the gender, have 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 her retell my story with her self as she is, as authentic and quirky as she is. That would be a fun twist on my story. I think it would be biopics as they are are usually not interesting. You would have to go through a lot of stuff for me to want to watch your story. And even then, I'd rather just kind of hear it for 15 minutes than watch a recreation of it. I don't think my life is at the level where it's interesting enough to have a biopic, unless it's just going to be manifesting like CGI demons that are representative of my mental illnesses. It's probably not going to be that interesting. Um, that's an idea, though. I should know that now. But it would be fun to have someone that's super a curveball and quirky and someone different like Doja Cat. They'll probably cast Scarlett Johansson. Right, right, right. I mean, when we're talking about accuracy, the industry knows what the industry knows. Yeah, that's I right. Mean, Acclaimed Asian actress Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> um, nude beach or not a chance? Um, I am all in support of people going to nude beaches and to be, uh, I'm not going to a beach. You know, I barely go near the ocean at this, um, let alone, it's like the whole thing with the fire. You don't want to be caught naked when you're running. From, I don't want to be caught naked as I drown or as I'm running from a tsunami. But I do envy the people like in Europe and I guess some of the nude beaches here, but mostly in Europe because it's, it's a very embedded like cultural thing where it's like, there's parts of Europe where, I think it's like Denmark and like that, where it's like, it's not weird to have a human body and it's like there's nude beaches and it's not like a sexual thing and it's just like and you know it's one of those things that's disorienting for americans to go to that i've heard stories of but i i really admire that i admire the fact that like they get to live in a culture where you don't feel inherently shameful about your body that would be great like have that type of um mentality but the act of going to the nude beach itself not interesting not really for me i'm too far into the puritanical strangles of america all right, last one. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever gotten? Um, I, I think I've, I've, my brain feels like it's like an encyclopedia of different people's opinions and experiences. And I guess most of our brains are like that. But I don't think I can narrow it down to one that was explicitly said it's more of like a combination of different things that i've learned through people through mentors through people that i love through self-help through psychologists and therapists and stuff like that <clears throat> and maybe it's just because it's really present in my life right now i think that if i were to express like the best advice is that like if you start with healing the wound if you start with self-compassion if you start and i'm trying to say it in a way that's not cliche because these fucking pinterest and instagram <laughs> fucking live laugh love people have like completely made it so hard to like relay the message because it's like like live laugh love is like okay that's on your wall but that means literally nothing it doesn't mean anything but like it, this comes out of like real advice that's hard to communicate now because people just completely tune out from it. but if you're trying to fix your situation whatever it is and everybody has a story everybody has shit that they went through maybe not biopic worthy, maybe not that fantastic. Um, shit that they went through that if you heard their story, it would, it would devastate you. Everyone has a story. As much as people want to pretend they're put together, that they've got their shit together, like bullshit. The more you have your shit, you claim to have your shit put together, the more I'm going to call bullshit. Like it's just scratching under the surface and it will 
completely unraveled. So everyone has the shit that they've gone through. But if whatever you're going through or whatever you've gone through, if you try to fix that or if you try to get out of that or run away from that through external things like working out and, and dieting like crazy to change your body or working out like crazy to feel better about yourself. And it does feel better. It does feel good. Um, or finding a new partner or just getting a new job or just changing your environment or trying to like rein in your environment to, to be what you think it should be and then thinking it's going to fix everything inside, you're going to never, you'll never get out of that cycle. You will continuously be going through trying to fix your circumstances and not understand why you're still miserable. And I think one of the most pivotal things that I've been taught and kind of grappled with and still grapple with is starting from the fucking inside. Like you've got to start from the inside. And when you're doing it, you have to have self-compassion for yourself. If you don't have compassion for yourself, it is going to be a never-ending cycle of, of trying and failing. This is why people start gym routines and fail. This is why New Year's Day is such a big thing in this country because people do the same cycle over and over of starting gym routines, starting to budget and financial plan, starting to you know get back in the dating scene or, or trying to get out of their relationship, but they don't have any compassion for themselves. And when you um, through learning a lot about how trauma forms in people's brains, it's really clear that it is such an unspoken like epidemic among people. And what happens often is that um, if you don't have this kind of support system from your parents, um, one side being whatever gender the parent is, it could be one parent that provides both of these, but often it's two different parents providing that sense of protection and teaching you that you are worthy of being protected and having boundaries. And then the other side teaching you that you're worthy of compassion and worthy of love and that you are, you know, that to, to nurture yourself. So like one side of teaching yourself to be protected and teaching yourself to be nurtured. And I think a lot of us never got that growing up for whatever reason, a lot of it being cultural. So if you're trying to change your life now as an adult, after your brain formed in an environment where it doesn't know how to protect itself and it doesn't know how to have compassion for itself, and you're trying to whip yourself into shape, you're trying to like, screaming yourself to say, you're such a piece of shit, get out of bed and do this workout. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Like, and you're just beating yourself down. You're never going to get out of that cycle because you don't feel safe within yourself to do that. So the, the, the best, like, I guess, more concrete way of saying that is like um, having compassion for yourself and, and putting an effort towards healing the underlying wound is going to be absolutely, like, you can't get, you can't skip that step. You can't skip the step of like, healing the initial trauma of whatever it was and what you went through in order to create a happy life and where you want to be. And also, if you don't learn to protect yourself and draw boundaries with people and take yourself out of situations that are harmful for you, you're going to find yourself in these situations over and over and over again. And it's heartbreaking to know how many people, including myself, I've seen do all of this effort to remove themselves from maybe like a chaotic job that's just this horrific and toxic and abusive or a relationship that's horrific and toxic and abusive just to find themselves right back in the same situation but it looks a little different so you can't really tell that it's a problem it, when you realize that this is a manifestation of the original like there was a fucking word of the original trauma that was inflicted on you you can better spot the patterns and better protect yourself and keep yourself from being back in that situation again and then you can start to actually heal and grow um, and change the life and, and, and the life that you want will kind of unfold itself if you focus on nurturing that inner kid that's still wounded and so real and protecting that kid as it navigates through life because we like to think that our kids inner child is just in the past or something that but that's really every all of our mannerisms everything that we are interested in the things we eat the places we go it's really just 
this little wounded kid walking around, finally having the ability to do it. So yeah, that kid is glued to social media for six hours a day because it doesn't, the kid doesn't want to interact with real life. Like that's just that's a kid's behavior that you as have to reparent and, and realize, okay, I understand why I started doing this. I understand where this came from. But now I have to kind of reparent myself and say, this, this is healthy sometimes, but this is not, you deserve better than that. And that's part of that self-compassion of like, you know what? I love myself enough to say that this is not healthy for me. I need this to move forward. But so many people try to skip the step and say, this keto diet is going to change things for me because I'm going to be beautiful. I'm going to be loved. Things are going to be great. This retinol serum is going to be amazing for me. These caffeine pills that I got, these, this alcohol that's like killing my nerves and calming me down, this medication. Or, and I think if you need medication, like far be it for me to tell you not because I'm on a million of them. But that's not going to fix the problem until you are willing to confront that inner kid, protect it, and nurture it. So it sounds really live, laugh, fluffy, but it's just, you know, through the trauma research that people do, which I learned a lot from, it's really it's very real. And it's like an uncomfortable conversation, I think, in a lot of industrialized cultures because we're just so driven on like being productive and being the best and being the top of the hierarchy when it's like all of that kind of loses meaning when you just feel safe within yourself and, and, and like feel that love for yourself. Right on. That was fantastic. Um, thank you for being here today. Uh, I have enjoyed this immensely. Um, Anytime you want to come back, I've I've got a place for you. Um, for sure. I'd be tell, more than happy to tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you're working on now. If you got a project to plug. I am um, probably easier just to find me at um, on Instagram at Ivan Lee Gartner, I I V A N L E E G A R T N E R. Um, or I guess you can just like look it up, it'll, it'll come up. Um, I'm on TikTok at Ivan Lee G, I V A N L E E G E E. Um, and yeah, I got some exciting stuff coming down the pipe over the next three, three months or so. So yeah, just follow me there and, and you'll, you'll see the update. Awesome. Uh, thanks again, man. Thank we'll you. talk soon. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. And if you're on Apple podcasts, leave us a review. If you didn't enjoy this episode, why the fuck are you even still here? If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at don'tmakethisweirdpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at sb83productions, on Instagram at springbreak83productions. Don't Make This Weird is a Spring Break 83 production.